welcome to this week's episode of Bad Movie Sunday, a movie podcast where we review bad movies so that you don't have to. We roast them, we toast them, and we're going to have a lot of fun. I'm Ashley, and I'm joined here today by fabled book character, Gollum. My precious. <laughs> it's me. Gollum, how this is the first time on our podcast today. You, um, of course, are a very well-known character from your fantastic book, The Lord of the Rings, um, The Hobbit, etc. Um, I'm sure a lot of our readers grew up, you know, reading your book, but not a lot of them had quite the skill to bring you to life. So we have uh, Brendan Fraser tied up in our basement, who we forced to just like use his magical, beautiful, lyrical voice to read you. Gollum from Lord of the Rings out of your book. How does it feel to be in a different world, Gollum? Precious. <laughs> yes, precious. I bet it feels very precious to be um, out of the world. Now, you were read out without a particular item that um, you you covet throughout your series. How does it feel to be apart from your precious? My precious. Mm. Do you have anything... <laughs> Do you have anything else that uh, you can say, Gollum, besides maybe my precious? No. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, um, that is a fascinating take there, Gollum. Um, I think we're going to bring in our next guest, who maybe will have um, a couple more extra lines of dialogue that they can say. Uh, I'd like everyone to welcome to the stage Professor Snape. How are you doing today? Hello? It's me, Snape. Hello, Professor Snape. How how are you doing today? You're you're not you're um in a different world than you were this morning. How does that feel for you? Yes, the Muggle world. Oh my god, don't even get me started. You sound very exasperated, Snape. I'm assuming this is a you know a not not very enjoyable experience for you. Yes, nothing in my life is enjoyable. Um, <laughs> Lily left me, and since then, nothing has been good. Um, I torment people, that's about it. Mm -hmm. There are, I I mean, there's still a lot of children for you to torment in this world. It's not overly uh, different than the world that you come from. You enjoying tormenting kids here as well? I love to torment muggle children, um, just any children, really. (laughs) Well, I'm glad that you uh, still have that opportunity while you're here, because we really don't know how to send um, either of you back. So enjoy your time. Um, If you have anything shiny, Gollum is in the waiting room right now. I'm sure he'd really appreciate that. Yes, that thing that looks like a house elf. Love that. Are you talking about Baby Yoda? Well, I was talking about Gollum, but now that you mentioned it, yes, a lot of them them look like malformed house elves. Yeah, yeah, there are just sort of a weird amount of tiny, small creatures with big ears that kind of just wander around saying things in a strange way. They're all sort of lined up um, on the bench. You can meet them one by one if you want. Okay, bye. Goodbye, Professor Snape. Um, that was Professor Snape and Gollum. I'm sh- I hope that you enjoyed hearing them today uh, with their real voices and not just hearing them in your mind when you uh, read their books. In the meantime, though, I'd like to introduce my co-host on this podcast, who has been very patiently waiting. Uh, Whoa, and I- did I did I just miss Snape and Gollum? I just got here. Hi, I'm Amy. I'm I know, also I'm- co-host of this 
podcast. Hey, um, Ashley, I just got here. Did I miss Nate and Gollum? I'm so sorry, Amy. I know I told you to keep an eye on Brendan, who we have locked in our basement. I just we, we have so many characters that we want to read out from books, and I really can't risk him escaping. You did just miss Snape and Gollum. I told them that you could get their autographs, though. They're just in the waiting room outside. We can uh, do that after the podcast. Okay, yeah. We'll figure it out. Yeah, so, of course, we have brought Brendan in from a fictional world. Also, Brendan Fraser is a real person, but we have brought <laughs> the character Mo from Inkheart, and he is in our basement right now. And, you know, for anyone who hasn't heard of Inkheart, uh, based on the book series, I do have a little summary here from IMDb. Uh, this is specifically the summary for the movie. Um, it says, a teenage girl discovers her father has an amazing talent to bring characters out of their books and must try to stop a freed villain from destroying them all with the help of her father, her aunt, and a storybook's hero. I don't know how many people would have heard of it. It's kind of a classic, kind of also like really swooped under the radar when it came out. Yeah, and it was based on a book series, and you read the book series when you were younger, right? Yes. So that was, I, I think, the reason why we, we chose to do it for this episode, this season. If you've been with Bad Movie Sunday for a while, you know that this is our third season. We had a season where we roasted the movies. We had a season where we tried to toast the movies. And this season, we are just going to have fun with the movies that we watch. So I brought to Amy's attention Inkheart because it kind of was like... It was in that sort of vein of the, like, the Narnias and the Aragons and those sort of, like, fantasy, not even young adult, like, children's fantasy books that were coming out, you know, kind of all at once in the early 2000s. And this was one that I grew up reading as a kid. So I have a huge amount of love and nostalgia for the book and for the movie from when I was a child. And I don't know how many other people have seen it because it, it did really fly under the radar I don't think it gets quite the amount of love or attention that I think it maybe deserves. Yeah, because, I mean, I, you know, was reading a lot of the reviews for this movie, and a lot of people who watched it were fans of the original book series, and a lot of people who didn't read the book series maybe didn't like it so much. But um, it seems that a lot of people who did read it kind of like this adaptation and since you did read the series and I didn't I'm gonna ask you a lot of questions a lot of clarifying questions as we go through this movie because um yeah a lot of questions do come up for me and I'm wondering if there are answers maybe in the books yeah, you know what? There probably are. That uh, that usually happens with these uh, movie adaptations. Is and this honestly, I'm gonna say we'll get into our specifics of our thoughts kind of near the end of the podcast. But it's not a terrible adaptation. It definitely changes sort of like some story beats around. It changes up some characters' motivations. It leaves out a bunch of stuff. But like you have to do that for a movie adaptation from a maybe 600 page book. It's you know, decently long for a children's book. But yeah, definitely I could see how people who don't know the story beforehand would have quite a few questions going into this. Yeah, and we'll cover all of that. We'll cover everything in our breakdown. Um, but first... Of course, to go along with both the movie, our podcast, whichever, we have prepared a 
specialty shot that you can use to drink along to our creative drinking game, where we're going to go back and forth, say a couple of points, make this movie a little bit more enjoyable for you. Amy, what is today's drink that the listeners can prepare if they so choose? Today's drink, we're getting a little fancy. It's not going to be a shot. It's going to be um, some champagne. And I'm getting this recipe from MarthaStewart.com. So you know it's going to be something a little bit fancier than usual. We usually do like cocktails. We usually do uh, shots. Today you're going to need two tablespoons of sugar, two tablespoons of finely grated kumquat zest, plus one kumquat slice. And then you're going to need just a glass of rose champagne chilled. And the instructions are super simple. You just combine the sugar and the zest, wet the rim of a champagne glass, and coat it in the sugar mixture. And then you just drop a kumquat slice in the glass and fill it with champagne. And then you got yourself a fancy little drink. And we chose this drink today because it's called the Capricorn. And one of the villains in the story is named Capricorn. So yeah, a a nice little drink for you to sit back with and enjoy as you watch Brendan do his thing or listen to us talk about Brendan do his thing. And if you have chosen to make that drink or if you want to have whatever your poison is, you can drink along to the drinking game points that we have come up with for this movie. My first point is drink every time something comes out of a book. Yeah, okay, so that's pretty much the same as my first point, which is every time Brendan reads out loud. But I think you could do like every anytime anyone reads out loud. Um, I only have one other point, which is whenever someone destroys a book. Oh, okay, very good. I have two more points. Whenever someone blows fire and whenever someone says ink heart. So you can take Ooh, your favorites good. from those. You could do all of them if you're just going to do little saps and just make this movie a little bit more enjoyable. In the meantime, we are going to break down this movie scene by scene, maybe explain some things that weren't very well explained in this movie. Amy, I know I can help you out there. And we're going to get into it right now. So the summary for this movie, I think, kind of spoils one of the big reveals of the book. Um, and also the first scene of this movie spoils that too. In the book, and I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, okay? I know that I'm going to be that stupid little annoying nerd this entire time where I'm like, actually, in the book, it did this. <laughs> but you're going to have to deal with that because I will be doing that this entire time. So, in the book, <laughs> it's only revealed maybe 20% of the way through or whatever that Brendan Fraser... <laughs> actor Brendan Fraser, has this magical ability to read stuff out of books. And in this movie, they chose to reveal a very, it's literally like the first scene of the movie that they're like, there's like this random voiceover that never comes back for the rest of the movie. There's just this, the narrator is in like this one scene and he's like, Brendan <laughs> Fraser can read out from books. And you're like, okay. <laughs> and then the movie just <laughs> starts again. Anyway. That's the gist of this movie is Brendan Fraser's character, Mo, has this magical ability to read characters, objects, whatever, out from books. And basically, he works right now as a quote unquote book doctor. So basically, he just goes around and he fixes up old books. They don't really, you know, focus on that so much in the movie, which I get. It's not the most interesting part of the story or his character or anything. 
Um, he is a single dad. He has a inexplicably British daughter <laughs> um, named Maggie. And his wife is out of the picture because uh, all we know at this point is she's mysteriously gone missing some point um, early in Maggie's childhood. Um, this is, okay, well, Ashley, l- let's pause for a second, because this is where my first question comes in. It's not very important, yes. but I was wondering through the whole movie, is there a reason why his daughter just calls him by his first name and doesn't call him dad or anything? She's like, Mo, and I'm like, isn't that your dad? I was confused. Um, usually people do that when they're not close to their parents. They call them by their first names, but then they did seem kind of close, so... Anyways, is there an explanation for that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I get that's usually something when you have like, you know, step parents or someone like yeah, um, or a guardian or something. <laughs> yeah, I okay. My experience with Inkheart is as a kid, I watched this movie first, and I liked the movie so much that I wanted to read the books, and then I went over and I read the books. So watching the movie as a child not having have read the books first i also had this same thought where i thought he was like mm, her uncle <laughs> or some <laughs> yeah. whatever but then she also calls him dad in random scenes and i was like oh. so in the books it's also not that explained <laughs> like they do mention it the main character of the books is maggie she's the one that is it's from her perspective so there are just like a couple weird throw-off lines where she's like that's my dad, Mo. I call him Mo. I don't want to call him dad. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, okay, <laughs> why not, kid? <laughs> okay, just wondering. Yeah. Um, also, there's like a, I don't know, a, a couple of similarities between this movie and The Mummy. Again, he has a kid with an inexplicably British accent, uh, British wife, which yeah. I guess explains the accent, except she didn't grow up with the mom around. So how did she get the accent? And then, you know, revolves around a magical book that can potentially kill people. Just a lot of similarities to The Mummy. Yeah, you know, the main characters look kind of similar, too. I don't know. I mean, it's kind of a stretch, but um, the main guy from The Mummy and the main guy from this movie, like, I don't know, like something of their eyes, maybe? Yeah, you know what, Ashley? I think this is another case where you're just um, <laughs> a little bit face blind. Uh, you know, you, we we always mix up actors on this yeah. podcast, so I, I think that's it. But um, a lot of surprising similarities, aside from the main actor, who is a completely different person. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm I'm sorry. I know I mix up actors quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very sorry to Brendan Fraser, um, who is in this movie, and whoever that guy was in The Mummy. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, and we'll, I'll continue answering questions as this goes along. I feel like I'm at, like, a Comic-Con panel. It's very exciting. <laughs> yeah, you're, like, the expert here, so I will ask you every, just every little question that I had. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We've got Brendan Fraser, uh, his randomly British daughter, which I agree, it kind of makes no sense that she's British, even though the mom is British, because the mom has been missing since she was, like, uh, two. Anyway, so... We start off this movie, Brendan is this, like, book repair guy, and he's been going around to different bookshops, different towns or whatever, and he's been looking for this specific book called Inkheart. Take a drink! (laughs) And in the opening sort of scene in this movie, they're at this market, and he finally, after years of searching, finally finds a copy of Inkheart. But his, it's kind of, what's the, what's the phrase? Kind of run short? 
cut short. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I like run short. We can go and run short. <laughs> it was kind of cut short because he immediately runs into this kind of mysterious stranger called Dustfinger, who's played by Paul Bettany, which I completely forgot. Yeah, I was very surprised to see him here. Uh, if any of you have watched WandaVision and are suddenly thirsty for Paul Bettany, <laughs> this is a movie for you. He breathes fire and has a ferret with horns. Yeah, he takes off his shirt a lot. He's got this, like, gorgeous golden lock scars on his face. Honestly, Paul Bettany could get it in this movie. So, uh, Paul Bettany's dust finger. We don't super know what his deal is right now, but he goes up to Mo and he's like, hey, I know you found the book Inkart. You got to give it to me because I want it. And Mo's like, um, absolutely not. And they have like a scuffle and Mo has to escape and he leaves Dustfinger in the dust. See what I did there? <laughs> it was very good. <laughs> Thank you. So Mo and Maggie are now like on the run. Basically, they have to escape from uh, Dustfinger and they decide to go to Italy to see Maggie's great aunt. Another stellar actor randomly in this movie, Helen Mirren, plays the mm -hmm. great aunt Eleanor. Also um, randomly British. Also randomly British. I'm starting to think maybe Brendan Fraser is the odd man out in this scenario. Yeah, very strange. So his daughter has a British accent. Helen Mirren, his great aunt or whatever, mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. a British accent. His wife has a British accent. Yeah, it's, all, it's only him. Only it's just Brendan, the way it should be. <laughs> uh, sadly, though, Dustfinger followed them the entire way to Italy, I guess. And he breaks into their house. They think that they're safe. They're like, oh, man, we've finally hit out. We can get away from this random dude. But he follows them and he breaks in along with a bunch of these like evil minion looking dudes. And he kidnaps all of them and takes them to this like grand castle fortress where the real evil villain of this movie has been hiding out, who, you know, by the shot that we just mentioned, his name is Capricorn. And are you ready for this? Because this is like the third, like, grand reveal actor in this movie is played by Andy Serkis? I know. Okay, this cast is so good. I didn't look at the cast list before I went into the movie. And as I was watching, I was like, holy shit. And I'm so surprised that... I've never heard of any of these actors being in this movie. And this movie has so many great actors in it. Like, damn, dude. Also, the settings, right? We got to talk for a minute about, first of all, Helen Mirren's Italian castle. Ugh. And now Capricorn's Italian castle. <laughs> you know what I'm going to mention. And I know I mention this literally yes. at every opportunity. <laughs> But Ashley, I, I don't know if I got a straight answer from you last time. If you're willing to, you know, go splitsies on me and buy an Italian castle for a dollar. <laughs> you know, I have been thinking about it for a while. We do bring this up quite often. Um, I was sort of a little unsure. 50 cents is kind of a big investment. But you know what? I've been saving up. I've been working for a while. And I think I'm ready. Yeah, okay. We're going to have the... Fucking Capricorn, fucking Helen Mirren ass castle in Italy for a dollar. We could have like a library like Helen Mirren has in her oh castle before they literally burn it down. 
Um, but anyway, we can have a library. We can have like, uh, you know how Andy Circus has like a room full of gold and whatnot, and like yes. a little dungeon and like a little, uh, you know, kind of like a an animal kennel, except with all these magical creatures, which we'll get to. Uh, we can have all of that in our one dollar castle. Yeah, for those of you that don't know, there's apparently just like a bunch of random like secluded castles in Italy that no one owns that they're just selling off for a dollar. Actually, you can't actually. Okay, listeners, I'm gonna need you to. I'm gonna need you to, to listen up right here. I'm gonna need you to put your ear right next to your headphones, wherever you're listening on this. Um, you cannot tell anyone about this because I'm pretty sure there's only a finite number of castles, and we have called dibsies on at least one of these castles. So if you're gonna buy a castle in Italy now that you know about it, because now that we have stupidly revealed this to the world. I need you to just like if you see one that has like a really nice library, a really nice dungeon, because what we're trying to do here is we're trying to take the best of both worlds from Helen Mirren's castle and Capricorn's castle. And I really like her library and I really like his just sort of dungeon. So if you see something that sort of crosses streams of those, (laughs) just put it aside for us. Maybe tweet us a link. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want like the smaller ones, like go for it. Uh, maybe they're going for 50 cents or whatever, but we want the dollar prime real estate, has a dungeon, has a library, um, those castles. And I think the catch for this whole castle deal is you have to like repair it in a certain number of years, like three or five years or something like that. I think, you know, after we're done with the renovations and we clean up the dungeon real nice and all of that, I think, you know, we're really going to get our money's worth out of this castle. Yeah, I think so, too. I think just like a a solid 50 cent each um, investment is just a really good price to pay. I think we'll we'll, eventually we'll earn that back. Yeah, yeah. We both pitch in 50 cents for, you know, initial one dollar for the castle and then another 50 cents each for the repairs and such. And I think, you know, a dollar each. Not bad. You know, not great, but not bad. Not great. Could be better. I mean, I'm going to have to like take on extra shifts but um i I, th- I think in the end it'll be a good investment for us yeah or we could do what capricorn does um which is he captures brendan fraser who he knows can read stuff out of books and make them come true in the real world and he just sort of makes him read out all these passages about treasure and gold and money and he's like i'm rich <laughs> and that's how he gets rich so you know pretty good plan Speaking of capturing people, do you know what I just remembered from the books? Is it because I was like, you know, how does like Capricorn, who oh, basically his whole backstory, he was he's a character who's been read out by Mo from a book. So I'm like, how does he, you know, like get a down payment for a castle? And, you know, you have to sort of like you have to get approved when you you know want to buy property or whatever. They have to look at your credit score. And I was wondering, like, how that would happen. And I remember that in the books, I'm pretty sure that they specifically say that whenever someone comes to Capricorn being like, ooh, you like can't take this land. He just like kidnaps them. So I think that's a pretty good business tactic for us, too. If, you know, someone comes to our castle in Italy and they're like, 
Ooh, you know, I mean, it is a castle. You guys should be paying, you know, a decent amount of property taxes on this. I don't know how the land, how big the land is that comes with it. We can just be like, ooh, you know, you've got a good point. Do you want to come in for tea? Oh, where's the tea room, you may ask? Oh, just keep going down. Oh, just that, that staircase over there? Just keep going down. Um, Turn left when you see the cells and then go into one. Um, Don't worry. We wouldn't lock you in or anything. <laughs> don't even worry about that. I think this is literally an Edgar Allan Poe story, and I'm living for it. You know what? Maybe we can read out some Edgar Allan Poe monstrosities to take care of those people that come knocking at our door. Mm, Very right. An entire flock of ravens. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, Capricorn, okay, let me explain this, because I don't know how clear it was for you, Amy, watching this not having read the books because I just like to get back to the the story a little I wanted to uh, sort of preface that Capricorn is the big bad in this movie because the first sort of 30 minutes set up Dustfinger Paul Bettany to be the villain and you know he's the one that kidnaps <laughs> Mo and and Maggie and everything in the beginning and then he just sort of takes a backseat for the rest of the movie was that clear enough for you that Dustfinger was like more of like a Loki type figure where he's just sort of sneaky trying to get what he wants, but he's not actually all that evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. he he was at the beginning, like you said, he was kind of, mm, you know, he kidnaps them and such and such. But then he turns into like this anti-hero kind of figure. And I don't know, I felt like he became and they gave him plenty of moments where he was sympathetic and they gave us his backstory and all of that. I feel like he became one of the main characters alongside Mo and Maggie, um, because he does have, you know, a full arc that shows us kind of not his transformation from bad to good, but like shows us him getting to where he needs to be. And we'll go over all this, but yes, it was, it was pretty clear. Uh, Dustfinger's whole arc. Yeah. And speaking of the backstory, after everyone is kidnapped and they get taken to Capricorn's uh, castle, we do get sort of the rest of the backstory about what happened 10-ish years ago when uh, Maggie's mom disappeared. Basically, the gist is we know at this point that Mo is what's called in this world a silver tongue, meaning that he reads so well (laughs) that stuff comes out of books. So one day he was reading to a little infant Maggie. The mom was in the room. It was a very nice, quiet evening. And suddenly stuff just comes, starts coming out of books. Capricorn, the big evil guy, came out of the book. His minion Basta came out of the book with him. And Dustfinger came out. But there's also a a price to pay. You know how people say that there's always a price to pay with magic. And it's no exception here because every time you read something out of a book, something from this world has to go into the book. So sadly, what went into the book when Mo read out all those people from Inkheart was his wife, my wife, got read into the (laughs) book. So now she is in the land of Inkart. She's in the book, and all the book characters from Inkart are now in this world. That is why the mom has been missing this whole time. Yeah, and and somewhere around here, Mo actually explains to Helen Mirren and to his daughter what happened. So now uh, they kind of know that he's a silver tongue, and they know about what happened to the mom. Okay, I do have a question because the whole time Brennan wants to get a copy of Inkart because his 
his wife, or so he thinks, is stuck in Inkheart, in the Inkheart world, and he wants to kind of read her out of that world. But if she was in the book, how would he read her out of the book? Because when he reads a description of something like a character or an object or whatever, it comes out. But she isn't a character in the book. I don't know how to, you know what I'm saying? Like she wasn't, there's no descriptions of her because she wasn't originally written in the book. So what would he read for her to come out of the book? Yeah, um, that's a good point, Diane. Basically. <laughs> In the book, it's explained a little bit better because they change up the structure a little bit in the movie, where in the movie, it starts off where Mo and Maggie have been looking for a copy of Inkart for years to try to find, you know, the book that the mom got read into so that Mo can try to read her out. In the books, it's a little different where Mo has had that same copy of Inkart the entire time for the 10 years. And the reason why he hasn't done anything about it is because he doesn't know how to read specifically his wife out of books, but also like in general, it's really hammered home. I mean, it's sort of hammered home in the movie, but it's especially hammered home in the books that he has almost no control over his power. He doesn't know how it works. It just sort of like does what it wants. He doesn't get to choose what comes out of the book, and he doesn't get to choose what goes into the book. I think the only specifics they mention is that if it's a living thing, something living goes in and out, and if it's like an inanimate object, like uh, later in the movie, he reads gold out of a book, so something inanimate, like a chair or whatever, would have had to go into the book. But yeah, I mean, in the in the book, he's carrying around a copy of Inkart, which has his wife trapped in it, for years because he doesn't know how to bring her back out and he's just like sort of keeps researching and keep trying to like find a way to do it but he also doesn't know because his powers are very vague so yeah that is i did think about that it's kind of a plot hole that they <laughs> bring up in the movie version yeah okay okay that makes more sense and we do find out later that the mom isn't in the book actually she was read out of the book by this other dude who is kind of working, I guess, for Capricorn uh, against his will. He's also a silver tongue, but he has a stutter. So the things that he reads don't exactly come out the way that they are in the book. Like they don't come out exactly the same. So when he reads the mom out of the book, she comes back without a voice, Ariel style. Um, <laughs> so she is working in Capricorn's kitchen or whatever, or like, She's kind of like this Cinderella. She's just like cleaning the floors. She's cooking some stuff, but she has no voice. And we find out that Dustfinger, who also works for Capricorn, to get what he wants, which is to go back into Inkheart to reunite with his own wife, um, who he's left in there for nine years and who he's been apart from. So Dustfinger and the mom actually know each other, but Dustfinger doesn't know that the mom is the woman that Brandon wants to read out of the book. And then only later does he realize, because he sees some drawings that she did of Brandon and their daughter, he's like, oh shit, that's the mom! <laughs> so at that point, he sort of um, decides to help Mo and Maggie and everyone. Because, you know, like we said, up until this point, Dustfinger has been a lot more of an anti-hero. He's not really on anyone's team but himself. His goal is to find a copy of Inkart so that Mo can read him back in and he will do anything that it takes. He'll betray anyone. He will, you know, pretend to be anyone 
to achieve that goal. So he was working with Capricorn up until this point to bring Mo, by any means necessary, to Capricorn's castle because Capricorn's whole thing is he, you know, he wants to use Mo and his voice to read stuff out of books for him. He starts with like, he's like, read me out treasure or whatever. Um, and Mo does. And he also reads out this like random kid from Arabian Nights <laughs> that is in the uh, rest of the movie. Um, that kind of joins their good guy crew. His name is Farid. But when Dustfinger, after all that is said and done, Dustfinger's like, okay, Capricorn, I brought you Mo. I did what you wanted. Now fulfill your side of the deal and let me get Red back into Inkart. But because Capricorn is a bad guy, he says, I think not, bitch. And <laughs> burns the book. <laughs> yeah, so uh, drink because he destroys the book. So now Mo and Maggie and Helen Mirren, who are all locked in a cell, have to find a way to get out of the cell and get a new copy of Inkheart. And Dustfinger kind of helps because he wants to go and get the copy of Inkheart so that Brendan can uh, read him back into the book. So he's like, you know what? I will help you guys. So he gives them a copy of The Wizard of Oz and he's like, read page 14 or whatever. And so Mo reads it and this huge tornado comes and kind of distracts everyone while Mo, Maggie, Helen Mirren, and Dustfinger all escape. And Maggie has this idea that since a copy of the book is super hard to find, why not go straight to the source? Let's go straight to the author. And so they do. They go to the author and try to get a copy of the book. Which, by the way, girl, if I wrote a book, it would be in every room in my damn house. I would have a million <laughs> copies of it. Oh, yeah. I mean, they mentioned in the books that Capricorn specifically, like, went, like, sent henchmen all over the world to seek and destroy any copy of Inkart that they could find everywhere. And that's why there's only, you know, like, one or two copies left, including the original manuscript. I don't think they really mentioned that in the movie. But yeah, dude, same. If I had, like, anywhere near that kind of accomplishment you kidding me i'd buy up a whole bookshelf of my own book and just kind of stare at it and be like shit i did that <laughs> because yeah the author is like oh well, let me go into my basement and see if i have a like bitch open up the fridge there's one open up the pantry there's one open up my laundry basket there's another one like <laughs> i've got eight He's of like, them framed oh. on my ceiling above my bed so i can think about how accomplished i am before i go to bed every night yeah, literally. Watch me writing it on my fucking walls like J.K. Rowling or something, okay? Like... Thankfully, though, the author, who is another act, Slughorn? I forgot the actor's name. Slughorn from Harry Potter? Oh my god, yeah. are you kidding me? It's like actor after actor that you're like, oh my god, them? Oh my hey. god, yes. The author does have the original manuscripts, <laughs> thankfully. So now Moe's like, oh, okay, thank God, I finally have a copy of this book. Now I can finally read my wife out from the book. And that's when Dustfinger is like, um, actually, um, your wife's not in the book anymore. And I've known where she is this whole time. And she's literally back in uh, Capricorn's castle where we just escaped from. And Moe's like, literally, what the fuck, dude? <laughs> Yeah, and okay, at this point, the author also tells Dustfinger how his story ends in the book, which Dustfinger didn't want to meet the author for this exact reason. He's like, I don't want to know anything about my future because that fucking sucks. Then I have to think about that for the rest of my life. But anyways, the author is so like, 
impressed with his own creation um even though he doesn't own more than two copies of his own book so how <laughs> impressed can he be but anyways he's like oh my god that is Dustfinger. that it looks exactly how i imagined Dustfinger to look so he goes up to Dustfinger and he's like mm, hey did you know you die because of capricorn's oh. men they kill you um and he's like hey man what the fuck <laughs> and the author's like oopsie <laughs> i gotta say okay even though the author, who's played by the guy who plays Slughorn in Harry Potter, literally plays the exact same character as Slughorn as he does in this movie. I don't know. He does such a good job. I'm just like, I'm totally here for this entire time. He did such a good job as the act. The He did such a good job as the author. He's just like, he has this aura about him where he's just... And it, you know what? It does bring up the question as to why he doesn't have more copies of his own book with him. Because he's every time someone brings up something about his book, he's like, yeah, that was pretty sick, right? That was a pretty good move on my part. Yo, that character I created? Fucking tight. Fucking mint, man. That was the best idea I ever had in my life. Yeah, dude, this castle looks just like that castle that I imagined. I'm such a genius. That's so sick. <laughs> literally <laughs> so so then mo is like mm, this guy looks legit enough i guess i'll leave my darter with him while i go back to the castle to get my wife to get my wife so he leaves his darter with, <laughs> with this random author dude just for no reason at all and he's like come with me dustfinger and show me where my wife is so him and dustfinger go Meanwhile, Helen Mirren's like, peace, I'm out of here. I'm going to go back home. This is a shit show. Bye, guys. So she goes back home, and Maggie is with the author. And while Maggie is staying at the author's place, she starts reading from The Wizard of Oz again, and she reads Toto out of the book. And she's like, oh, my God, I'm a silver tongue. That's pretty fucking tight, just like yes. my dad or my Mo, because I don't call him dad. <laughs> She reads Toto out at, like, literally the worst moment, though, because almost immediately after Toto is read out, author guy comes into the room and he's like, mm, yo, you're silver tongue? That's pretty sick. Anyway, the bad guys are here and look how sick they are, man. They look just like how I imagined them. They threatened me at night point and everything. Pretty tight. Best week of my life, to be honest. The author wants to go into Inkart. He's like, Mo please read me into my own creation please read me into this world that i created and i'm like bitch why 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 do you want to do that we can see this fucking capricorn is like kidnapping people left and right he's like holding you at knife point why do you want to go into your own book yeah dude i could get it if it was like okay honestly every kid thinks about this at some point they're like shit you know what i would just adore to be able to go into like the percy jackson world or mm, i want to go to hogwarts but like if your world is i don't know i feel like if your world is so just terrible and dangerous and everything, like, uh, you think I want to go into, like, Pan Am, the Hunger Games world? Absolutely yeah. not. <laughs> think I want to go into Divergent? Um, no thanks. Yeah. Am I going to go into Game of Thrones? Mm, no. Um, I think not. Yeah, anyway, he's just, like, the whole time, he's like, please send me into my book. And I'm like, ew, why? <laughs> You're going to die. You literally just talked to Dustfinger about how dangerous he is and the fact that he's going to die. Anyway, so he rats out Maggie. He's like, oh, my God, is that Toto from The Wizard of Oz? I think she's a silver tongue. And they're like, <laughs> oh, my God. 
another silver tongue. Let's get her. So then they kidnap her and the author dude. And she's like, mm, thanks a lot. <laughs> they bring them back to Capricorn's castle. So they're going back to Capricorn's castle. Uh, Mo and Dustfinger and Farid, who is just like randomly in the trunk of the car, are all also going to Capricorn's castle. And then Helen Mirren is like, hmm. I've had a change of heart. I'm going to go back and I'm going to save them. And I'm like, damn Helen Mirren. Damn Helen Mirren. More like, damn Helen Mirren. Okay. <laughs> so Helen Mirren goes back too, like literally for no reason. So they're all going to like meet up at the castle. So then Capricorn's dudes are like, hey, get a load of this Capricorn. This random daughter is also a silver tongue. And he's like, I don't even need Brandon anymore. I'm going to use the daughter to read out this even bigger bad in the book, The Shadow. Very original name, by the way. (laughs) I bet you can't even imagine what that one looks like. Um, Spoiler alert, it's a big evil shadow. (laughs) Yeah. So um, Capricorn is like mad extra in this scene. He's just like, yo, now that I have like another silver tongue and I don't even need Brendan anymore, I'm going to make the daughter read out the shadow from Inkar. So he decides to like, instead of just being like, here's the book, read out the shadow. He's like, no, 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 no. We're going to make this into an event. I'm talking Met Gala. I'm talking red carpet. (laughs) He makes her wear like almost a wedding gown. This like really nice bejeweled like gown. She's got like a little tiara in. He's like, just, you know, take your time, girl. Get ready. We'll put you up in a nice room until you're ready. (laughs) Of course, they have to wait until nightfall. It's not going to be dramatic in the daytime. You kidding me? And they have this, like, huge, <laughs> dramatic ceremony where Maggie's, like, standing in front of all the henchmen and all the evil men, and she has to read out the, the shadow from Inkart. It's okay, though, because author guy, who also has been kidnapped at this point, has a plan to stop it. While he was chilling in jail, <laughs> um, <laughs> he quickly wrote down, like, on a random sheet of paper... An alternate ending, I guess, to the book where it says, uh, like, oh, and then the shadow turned on Capricorn and killed him or whatever. So when Maggie starts to read the shadow out of the book, which it does come out of the book and it starts, you know, terrorizing the land, I guess, the author slips her this extra sheet of paper and she gets to sort of change what happens so that the shadow is now turning against Capricorn. But she doesn't finish reading it before one of the henchmen, like, steals the papers away. So you're like, oh, my God, what are you going to do now? She doesn't have the... uh, She can't read out the actual book, of course, because then the shadow will kill everyone. She doesn't have that extra sheet of paper, so she can't change the ending of the story. Well, fear you not, because it turns out she can just read out what she writes, I guess. So she just, like, whips out a pen and starts writing on her arm her own alternate ending and starts reading that out where she's like, and then the shadow realized it was good all along. (laughs) The power of love. Fanfiction.net could never (laughs) archive of our own who she's writing her own fanfic on her arm coming through right in front of her damn eyes. The author's like, Oh damn girl. This is pretty good. Imagine you're so confident in your own fanfiction that you tattoo it on your arm. Catch me next time you see me with My Immortal, just the entire, like, <laughs> bajillion chapters written on my arm. My name is Ebony, <laughs> whatever her name was. Ebony Darkness Dementia Way. Um, 
then she writes like on her legs all the tags hashtag you know <laughs> happy ending <laughs> no shadow shadow free zone okay <laughs> anti shadow so she's writing the stuff she's like you know what everybody um goes back to where they came from everybody that the girl sees goes back to the world that they came from and dustfinger of course him and Farid have been like blowing up the castle there goes that one dollar they've been lighting it on fire and they come in just as Maggie is finishing her fanfic on her arm and as everyone else is like going back to their own worlds all of Capricorn's men and Capricorn dies and the shadow is gone or whatever Dustfinger arrives just two seconds too late to be able to go back into Inkart, which is what he's always wanted to do. That's the only thing he wants. That's his whole, you know, objective in this movie. And then he's super bummed out. He's like, Fareed, let's get out of here. Nothing I can do. I can't get back to my wife. Um, my even wife. though My wife. Even though it's been nine years, Mo and Maggie get reunited with the mom, and she gets her voice back. So, you know, happy ending for them. And Helen Mirren, oh, Helen Mirren showed up. She released all of the, like, fucking flying monkeys and whatever, Capricorn, all the magical animals Capricorn had just chilling in his dungeon. So she released them, and she's there. She's like, hey, I'm here too. And they're like, cool. Um. So then Mo's like, where's Dustfinger? So he goes to Dustfinger, and he's like, hey, I got my wife back. Now I'm going to help you. Get back to your wife. And Dustfinger's like, really? You would do that for me? And he's like, hell yeah. So he reads him back into the book. Dustfinger gets reunited with his wife, played by Jennifer Connelly, his real life wife. Aww, I didn't know Very that. Very cute. Yeah. And um, Fareed kept the little horned ferret thing because... Uh, the way Dustfinger dies in the book, uh, what the author told him is he's trying to save the ferret. But since he doesn't have the ferret, I guess he just won't die. Is that true? We don't know. <laughs> well, <laughs> it is kind of OK. It, there's a couple questions sort of brought up at the end of this movie, because it does imply at the end that Brendan now has like perfect control over his ability because he's like, yo, Dusty, like I can totally just read you into this book. No problem now, even though you've been literally pestering about this for 10 years. But now it's suddenly no problem. And he reads him like a passage. He's like, Dustfinger saw the rolling hills filled with grass or whatever. And I'm like, okay, so how would you know that that would send Dustfinger in and not just send you a bunch of grass? <laughs> yeah, true. And then when Dustfinger went in, would someone have come out? Does it work like that? I don't know. It, there was like a shot of like Brendan looking at this butterfly that I, I was kind of implied that a butterfly came out of the book. Oh, okay. I see. I see. Yeah, a very strange ending for Dustfinger because the whole time he's like, I want control of my own narrative. I'm not going to, you know, die the way the author says I'm going to die just because he wrote me like that. I'm not just, you know, words on a page. I'm a real person. I'm not going to let those things happen to me. Um, and then he goes back into the world where mm, literally that could still happen to him. Like, I don't know. I feel like in so many movies, there's this kind of rule of the universe where if someone's going to die at some time, they're going to die. It could be they die trying to save their little ferret with horns or they could die some other way but they're probably still gonna die around that time because that's you know the fate of the universe or whatever mm -hmm. and i know this is like his whole thing is trying to go against that 
But, like, he doesn't know, you know? No, and, I, I mean, it would be sort of, like, ambiguous enough in the real world where it's, like, the idea of um, fate versus, like, do you really have control over your destiny or are you always, you know, destined to die in this one specific way and whatever you do, you will always end up in that same place. That is interesting enough, but when it's sort of applied to a book... It makes it so much more confusing because it's like, okay, this is like a written story, right? Like, it was written that Dustfinger dies when trying to save his little ferret, Gwen. So if he goes back into the book without Gwen, it's like, does the story change? Like, does the words in the book change? Because it is a written down book. And if the world of the book, like, exists in the book... And you do something to change that story. How does that work? You know? Yeah. And when the author tells him how he dies, he's like, oh, you die, you know, because Capricorn's men kill you. He doesn't say, oh, you die in the meadow right beside the village mm. where you grew up so that he could, you know, just avoid that meadow for the rest of his life. He literally doesn't know where he's going to die. He doesn't know when he's going to die. He's got no details of surrounding his death that he could possibly use to avoid that situation. I feel like that's almost worse. If you Okay, you know the whole... I feel like people take two very different stances on this. About, like, if you had the choice to be able to choose to know exactly how and when you're going to die, would you take it? I, for one, would absolutely not... I don't know what your choice would be, but... Hell no. Probably yeah. not. Oh, God. Okay. Agreed. I'm glad we're on the same page with this. But I feel like it makes it so much worse. Instead of saying, like, okay, you're going to die on the 23rd of December, you're going to get hit by a truck while driving home from work. You know what I mean? Like, that's like, you're like, okay, that would massively suck, and I guess that's nothing much I can do to avoid it. But if it's, like, so vague, like, this bitch is like, you're going to die trying to save Gwyn. That's the only information he gives him. If someone came up to him and was like, you're going to die by... Uh, lightning. You're gonna be like, uh, <laughs> okay, literally, I, I a year would be helpful, a location, anything to help. No, just you're gonna get hit by lightning at some point in your life, and that's how you're gonna die. That's so much worse to like have a little bit of information, but not all of it. Yeah, and that's like literally why he didn't want to talk to the author before the author's like, mm, that's how you die. Whoopsie. Um, <laughs> Oopsie. <laughs> my my bad. Fun. Because he could die, you know, the next day because Capricorn's men come after him. Or he could die in fucking 40 years. Like, you don't know. At least if he, if he knows, like, oh, you're going to die in, like, two weeks. He can make that the best fucking two weeks of his entire yeah, life. But it is, like, implied that because Farid mm, kind of kidnapped the little ferret at the end of the movie and made him stay in the real world, that because the ferret is not in the world of Inkart anymore... That Dustfinger's just, like, not going to die? Yeah, but then, like you were saying, does that change the words of the book? Because the ferret was in, like, the whole, you know, beginning of the book, uh, up until he comes out of it. So then they just, like, don't mention the ferret ever again in the book, or, like, what? Right? Like, does that change the actual book to say that Dustfinger lived? So confusing, man. I'm going to need all these questions answered. Yeah, well, anyway, that's the end of... The movie, everyone kind of gets what they want. The author goes into his world. Uh, Capricorn dies. I guess he doesn't get what he wants. <laughs> All the good guys get what they want. Uh, Mo and Maggie get reunited with their with the mom. Uh, and Dustfinger goes back to his wife. And Farid is just part of Mo and Maggie and the mom's family now. He's just like, what up? 
I am your new adopted child. Also, I now have a pet ferret. <laughs> I am your new adoptive son. Also, I might have a thing for your daughter. Yeah. Oopsie. Oopsie. Like- <laughs> so, yeah, that's the end of the movie. I think we're going to go over kind of our general thoughts about it. Amy, as a person who has not read the books, has I don't think, have you seen this movie before? What were your thoughts about this? I have not read the books. I have not seen this movie before. It did, other than, you know, the kind of plot points we were just talking about with Dustfinger, it did make sense to me enough that I didn't have any super huge uh, problems with how it went or or any of that. I did have a couple questions, but they weren't so bad that I couldn't follow along to the movie. Yeah, it was good. It was it was fun. It was like a nice ad- little adventure movie. There are so many good actors. Yes. Um, but as someone who actually read the books, what did you think of it? And were there any like major differences or anything that you wanted to see in the movie that maybe wasn't in the movie? Yeah, I mean, I guess we'll start with actors because, you know, we just sort of mentioned that. In general, I think the casting in this movie was near perfect. Paul Bettany as Dustfinger I think, did the single-handedly best job in this movie. I think Paul Bettany and Brendan Fraser carried the movie. Like, the two of them were so phenomenal in their roles. They literally were, like, the perfect embodiments of the uh, book characters. The two of them are just fantastic actors, and I love to see them. They were literally perfect. There were a couple, you know, um, I think Capricorn was a little over-the-top. He was a little over the top. <laughs> yeah, agreed. I completely agree with Brendan and Paul Bettany carrying this movie. I do have a little piece of trivia here. Apparently, oh. the author of the series, Cornelia Funke? Uh, <laughs> any relation to Tobias Funke? Her personal choice for the role of Mo and her inspiration while she was writing the book was actually Brendan Fraser. So, literally perfect casting. She got exactly who she wanted. And I think she even became a producer on the movie just so she could have control uh, over the casting. And I think it went really well. Um, apparently, she also sent Brendan a copy of the books oh. and was like, hey, I based this on you, which oh. is so sweet. That is adorable. Uh, we keep saying Brendan Fraser deserves the world. And you know what? Now he has his own. Oh, <laughs> he did such a good job. I agree. The only two actors that I think it wasn't even really an actor thing I think maybe it was like a script thing was that Andy Serkis as Capricorn was a bit I don't know aloof um just sort of a bit more exaggerated in the books he's this very stoic character that never smiles and never shows emotion besides maybe like a bit of rage he's very sort of like you know you know how when someone's intimidating by just how little they show that's the type of character he is in the books. And Maggie, I think, was really toned down for this. Maggie in the books isn't an amazing character. You know, she's sort of that typical child book, YA book uh, protagonist trope where the main character is pretty much a blank slate for you to project yourself on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Maggie is pretty much that in the books anyway. They do downplay her better character traits, though. In the books, she's very clever very curious she doesn't really do a ton plot wise besides you know at the end with the reading 
But there was one scene in this movie that I think really probably was the best scene to show off her character is when she's talking to Helen Mirren about the books in her house. And Helen Mirren's like, don't touch that book. Do you even know how expensive it is? And Maggie's like, actually, bitch, I do. And she like lists off the exact <laughs> yeah. like, year the book was printed. And Helen Mirren's like, well, okay. <laughs> um, show off, I guess. But mm, <laughs> weird flex, but okay. That's what Maggie's like in the book. She's very clever she's intelligent she is a bit of a Hermione-esque character you know she's maybe without the sort of sassiness (laughs) um but they definitely downplayed that for the movie she's very stoic in this movie she doesn't show a ton of uh, emotion or character but you know overall I think that was more to do with the writing than too much of the acting They aged her up, which I didn't mind. Uh, A lot of the time when they age up characters, it is not great. (laughs) Percy Jackson. (laughs) But I didn't mind it in the books. I think she's 12 or so. And here she looks about maybe 17, 18. But I don't know. I didn't mind it. I thought it worked for her to be a little bit older because, you know, having child actors in a movie can be sort of difficult in terms of you know, directing them and also in terms of their acting ability. So I really didn't mind that. One thing that I, okay, I don't want to spend too much time, but um, I'll go over things that I liked first. Well, wait, but before we um, leave the topic of casting, yeah. I do want to say that I completely agree with you on Capricorn kind of being more of a caricature instead of an actual intimidating dude. I do want to say on IMDb, it says who is considered for the role of Capricorn. Oh. You can decide if you'd rather have this person or Andy Serkis. Um, Rowan Atkinson, a.k.a. Mr. Bean, <laughs> what? was considered for the role of Capricorn. Now, as we know, Mr. Bean, not a man of many words. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, uh, I adore Rowan Atkinson. I watched so much Mr. Bean growing up as a child. I definitely <laughs> think he's like kind of in the same vein as Andy Circus in terms of like they're both very um a lot of their acting is very like emotional and shows off like in their face. They're very ex- expressionistic, if that's a word that I don't know is exactly the character. Um <laughs> I, I think I would have gone for someone more like a well, I don't want to compare it too much to Harry Potter, but uh, Ralph Fiennes, I think, would have done a good job. <laughs> oh, yeah. hundred uh, percent. I do think out of the two of them, Rowan Atkinson and Andy Serkis, I do think they did make the right choice there. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so the, the the casting was kind of a... Uh, I, I think they either did, like, eh, or they did incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would tell you, like, when you get an incredible on your casting, I take the compliment there. There were a couple of other things that I did love about this adaptation, though, because it is not a bad ab- adaptation. They, of course, you know, changed little things from the books, um, mostly to do with character backstories and motivations, I think. Probably the worst change has to do with Basta, um, who's a very forgettable character in this movie. He's a, uh, I don't even think we really mentioned him very much in our breakdown, but he's basically Capricorn's right hand man. And in the book, they... Amy, tell me if you got this about him, because I thought it was very played down in the movie. In the book, his sort of big flaw is that, I mean, he's a very, very intense, very menacing 
character, um, very bloodthirsty, but uh, he's also very superstitious. So he like carries a lot of charms on him. And um, there's this one particular like house that they keep going back to in the books that Dustfinger like claims is haunted or whatever. And a lot of the ways that they kind of get around Basta is by playing off of his fears and superstitiousness which they kind of do in one particular scene in this movie when they're escaping from jail and they have to basically Dustfinger pretends to curse Basta and Basta's like oh no (laughs) and it's kind of like incapacitated from that but I mean other than you know just sort of like little changes or you know not explaining the characters backstories as much or um you know, scenes being moved around. In the books, there's a lot of back and forth. Like at the beginning of the book, it's like Mo goes to Capricorn's village um, and then he comes back and then Maggie and Eleanor follow him. And then it's the three of them in Capricorn's village. And then they all escape Capricorn's village and then they get captured again and they end up in jail again. And then Dustfinger has to come break them out and they escape again. And then they find out that the mom is there and they have to go back. And it's a lot of like back and forth versus in the movie. I thought it was a lot more concise to just capture them all at once and put them all in the same place <laughs> and keep them there. Uh, yeah. Think- yeah. I think in the movie though, there's still a lot of back and forth, like, they get captured, then they have to go back because Dustfinger forgot to reveal, forgot uh, <laughs> to reveal that, you know, um, the mom is still at the castle and then they have to. So there was a lot of that, but it wasn't so much that I was like, this is super annoying. You know, I think it was mm-hmm. like a fine uh, amount of going back and forth. And yeah, I, I agree. I, the thing you said about Basta is like, I didn't really remember a lot of his character and the only part that maybe showed superstition is the scene that you said where first Paul Bettany has to like open this coffin or whatever and reveal a skeleton he's like oh my god I'm so scared (laughs) Uh, and I'm like oh he's just um afraid of skeletons I guess uh it wasn't really like oh he's superstitious it was more like oh he's easily scared that was the impression that I got of him yeah they made him into more of like a cowardly character in this rather than someone who's like haunted by the ghosts of his past or uh whatever his (laughs) (laughs) damn (laughs) um I have to say, I think my favorite change that they made from the books to the movie was, and I got to give it to the, uh, I don't know if it, if it would fall under the costume department or the art department, but um, just visual characters, the way that they visually showed the characters on screen, I thought was so interesting. Basically, and this was kind of glossed over because it's not a super important plot point, but before Capricorn captures Mo to read stuff out of books for him, he has this kind of stuttering silver tongue who can read stuff out of books, but they all, they always come out like, oh, they, they have a limp. They can't walk. Their face is squished in. They can't uh, speak. There's always something a little wrong with them, which is a thing in the book. I really liked how visually they were distinguished. And it's something that has stayed with me since childhood is this image of, all the people that are read out of books by Darius, the stuttering guy, have words across their faces from their own stories. So it, you know, they have a description of themselves like over one half of their face or it's basically just like really cool, like script tattoos all over them. And it's an image that is 
really rememberable. Memorable. <laughs> um, it's, it looks really cool. It's something like I haven't seen that in anything else. So when I see like tattoos on people in the real world that have just like a paragraph or whatever, I'm like, I think of Inkheart. It's a really cool visual uh, change. Damn. Yeah, I really like that. And and I do like the, I don't know, the costuming, the way that they kind of dressed uh, people like Dustfinger, like he yes. looks like a rogue in one of these fantasy yes. books. Um, so it's very believable when the author goes up to him and is like, oh, my God, you look exactly like how I remember um, or how I imagined. Uh, yeah, he, he looks like he's from the world. And, you know, got to give props to whoever was a part of designing that because it was really good. The character designs were really good. Yes. Um, I want to mention one more thing just about the uh, the changes and then we can move on to kind of how we would structure this movie. But um, it's something that I can't decide if I liked or didn't like. I think I'm leaning more towards that I liked it. Basically, the entire climax of this story is changed from the book to the movie. I think I kind of like what they did because... Like I said, Maggie is a very blank slate character. Um, and I think they tried to do a little bit more with her in the movie by there's a couple lines spread out evenly throughout the movie where Maggie is talking about how she wants to become an author. You know, the whole movie basically is about books and love of books and love of reading. Um, but Maggie also loves to write. So you know, she's looking at books in the market and she's like, oh, I would love to write a book like this. And she meets the author guy for the first time and she's like, I want to become an author like you. So that in the end, it sets up her character as being a good writer and someone that aspires to write stories. So that when she has to do the little fan fiction writing on her arm to basically, you know, save the town and change the end of Inkheart, that's a well-deserved conclusion to to that arc of her character in the books it's a little different again she's literally like 10 to 12 i can't super remember like she's a literal child in the books um so she's not going to be this like writing prodigy <laughs> but that's not in the books she's just likes to read or whatever and it's only slughorn the author that is the person coming up with the uh extra stuff again she's a little child so Kind of makes sense that they didn't put this in. But in the end of the books, when Maggie has to read the part, she's reading like, oh, and then the shadow turned on its master and killed Capricorn. She can't read that part out loud. She just like chokes up. She freezes because throughout the first book, there's this really interesting like internal battle in Maggie between her light and dark, which isn't like a super obvious thing against a kid's book. They don't super go into it, but you know, she'll have a lot of lines where like when they get captured by some of the henchmen, she's like, she'll see like a dagger in the background. She's like, I wanted to stab him, but then she'll feel super bad about it. And then, Oh damn. Um, and she's like, she's like 10 years old. She's like a child. <laughs> But, you know, there's a lot of scenes like that in the book where she's like, you know, I wish he would just drop dead so we could get out of here. I wish I could just kill him. And then she's like, I should not be thinking stuff like that. Um, so that in the conclusion of the book, when the author hands her this extra page and she has to read that Capricorn dies, she can't do it because she's sort of like, I don't know, airs more on the light side in the end. And Mo has to step in and be the one to kill Capricorn by like saying 
and then Capricorn died or whatever, which, you know, can be a little bit harder to show when you don't have an internal monologue going on like you do in books. So I, I can't see. I liked I think the part that I liked about the changing in the ending is setting up Maggie to be a writer herself and making her proactively do something, you know, in the climax where she's the one writing whatever, because she is, I guess, a very passive character otherwise. But I would have liked to see her struggle with her morality a little more. I think that's the last sort of big thing I had to say about the changes. Yeah, that would have been really good. And that kind of, you know, leads us into our new segment that we have on this season of the podcast, which is a segment that we kind of use to go over the things that we would improve if we were the ones making this movie. And I definitely think that showing that kind of, you know, internal conflict about, ooh, they are fictional people, but should I kill? Would have been really good. And to have Mo kind of uh, have a bit of a bigger part in the uh climax yeah okay so just a question so does this movie cover the whole series or just the first book this covers just book one in the Inkart series there's three books there's Inkart, ink spell ink death so this is just the first book but the first book is left very open-ended no one like they don't get a happy ending at the end of book one because they've got two more books to go but i'm pretty sure I don't know if this was intended to be a one-off movie or they were like, we should just wrap it up nicely just in case we get canceled like every other <laughs> like every other children's uh, movie <laughs> made around this time. So, you know, in the books, Dustfinger doesn't get sent back yet. The mom doesn't have her voice back at the end yet. Um, and all that stuff gets wrapped up in later books. But I, I'm glad that they wrapped it up at the end of this movie because we did not get a sequel movie. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you're right about the way that Maggie's arc kind of wrapped up with her taking over from the writer. I think that was a good ending. But okay, just, you know, something to improve. I feel like the author dude was kind of useless in this movie. I think they could have maybe either cut him out of the movie or kind of worked around him so that he was because he didn't really do anything. The only thing he did was like, first of all, rat them out, but he didn't need to do that. Capricorn's fan could have found Maggie on their own. Um, And then at the end, he wrote this like page, but it wasn't even like the thing that took Capricorn and the shadow down. It was really Maggie who kind of stopped them. So I feel like, I don't know, they could have used him differently or just like taken him out or given him a bigger role. I'm not sure what I would have wanted, but there's something about the author that he was played brilliantly, but I feel like they didn't use him to his full potential. Totally agree. He is honestly maybe even more useless in the book though um because the whole scene where they go they literally like spend so long like trying to track him down then they finally find him in his apartment or whatever and they're like yo man you gotta help us out do you have one last copy of ink card do you have the manuscript in the book he's just like no (laughs) (laughs) and he doesn't have any he doesn't have a manuscript he doesn't have a final copy or whatever and he just like goes on the rest of the adventure with them for no reason um he's like i love my characters um dumb finger and um like (laughs) dumb finger um pasta what was it bastard dumb finger (laughs) 
Oh my god, yeah, I don't know. Um, the way that he was like, yeah, I love my world so much, I want to go in it. And yet, the bitch doesn't even have two copies of his own book. <laughs> yeah, I think they could have done something more with him. I think they could have even done something more with Helen Mirren's character. Because mm. a part of me was like really wishing at the end it would be revealed that she's also a silver tongue and it you know runs in the family and i don't know she also didn't really do much in the movie like she bought farid some clothes okay and then and then she was like "Mm, actually never mind i'm out of here and then she came back and she released the animals which i guess was something but it wasn't really like helping in the climax as much as Maggie or Mo or even Dustfinger and Fareed. I I feel like they could have. Okay, I have a scenario. I I know exactly how they could have introduced this. Picture yes, me this. Okay, I will. The climax when Maggie is reading the piece of paper that the author wrote the new ending on. Okay, so she's reading it. She's a silver tongue. Uh, the things are coming to life just as she's reading it. And then Capricorn's men try to take the paper away from her. So she does this kind of monkey in the middle style thing and she throws it to Mo. And Mo takes the paper. He starts reading, continues where she left off. Capricorn is dying, blah, blah, blah. Uh, so he's reading that. Capricorn's men try to get him. He throws the piece of paper into the bushes. Who comes out of the bushes except for Helen Mirren. It's her. It's Helen. She picks up the paper. She starts reading it and she finishes him off. I love that like tag team approach. That would have been so sick. I do love what they did with Maggie where she writes her fan fiction on her arms. But like there could have also been like this family thing where like passing the paper to each other, revealing yes. Helen Mirren's also a silver tongue. Yeah. That would have been really cool. Oh, speaking of silver tongue reveals, I think I would have liked if they had not told us that Mo could have this ability until we actually see him use it. Because like, like we mentioned at the beginning of this podcast, the first scene of this movie is like a random narrator that never speaks again, being like, Brendan Fraser can bring stuff out of books. Anyway, here's the real start of the movie. Like, it, <laughs> it was this random scene where he reads out, like, Red Riding Hood's Red Riding Hood. And then <laughs> we're like, okay. And then the movie starts as normal. And I think it would have been a little better if there was a bit of mystery involved. Where, you know, when Dustfinger shows up and he's looking for this book, you don't know that he wants to go back into the book. That he's a character from a book that's been read out from a book. You just know, oh, he's this kind of mysterious character. He's tracking down... Dad, I don't know, just like build up a bit more of a mystery about this would have been kind of a cooler approach. Yeah, completely agree. I feel like that scene at the beginning with the Red Riding Hood um, <laughs> didn't really need to happen because it's not very long after the actual first scene, which is when they're in the um, bookstore and he's looking for Inkart. It's not very long after that it is revealed to us already that, oh, he has this ability and he's read Dustfinger out and Dustfinger wants to go back into the book. So, yeah, I think you're right about building up the suspense. And also, why was that narrator there? Get him out of here. <laughs> Unnecessary. Unnecessary. Read him out of this movie. Yeah. Oh, we're reading him right now. <laughs> <laughs> and then the narrator wasn't in the movie anymore. <laughs> well, we fixed it. 
Um, speaking of Dustfinger 2, his ending, I still don't know if I liked it or not, whether, you know, it would have been better if he did go back into the book like he wanted to or if he didn't. The whole time he's, you know, talked about not wanting to be controlled by the fate of the book, but he literally can't be controlled by the fate of the book if he's not in the book, you know? So if he stayed yeah. in this world, he'd be like perfectly okay. I don't know if this is maybe a controversial take if, the, oh. if I'm the only one thinking this. I feel like maybe Dustfinger, like, might have been better off if he got with the mom. Okay, because hear me out. There is, first of all, it's been nine years. Okay, it's been nine years since Dustfinger was read out of the book and he's last seen his wife. It's been nine years since the mom has seen Mo and Maggie. They got to move on. We've seen a couple scenes with them together in Capricorn's kitchen or whatever, and she's kind of, you know, patching up his burns and, like, treating him with ice and whatnot. The way that they set it up, I thought that that was the direction that they were going to go in. You know, they both been through very similar experiences being read in and out of books. They've both been away from their significant other and family for almost a decade, like a full-ass decade, and then it would have been like a good way to show that they've kind of moved on. They can still, you know, love their families that they've had to leave. But they moved on after, you know, 10 years. They're getting back into the game. They found love again. I don't know. I can I give you <laughs> a hot Can I give you a hot take? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> okay. Oh. Okay. Okay. Thank God. So they do Honestly, Paul Bettany and the actress that played the mom in this movie have so much chemistry. <laughs> they, like, okay, maybe it's because I was a dumb child the first time that I watched this movie, but I didn't even understand that she was the mom until, like, way too late into this movie. I just thought she was, like, some chick that Dustfinger had a thing for. <laughs> I think in the books, Dustfinger does have a thing for her. <laughs> Ooh! Okay, I'm the new author. I'm writing this down. Watch me write my Dustfinger slash Moe's ex-wife fanfic on my arm right now. <laughs> yes, bitch. Wattpad.com. <laughs> I don't even think that they mention that Dustfinger, like anything about his family or anything in the first book. They just like, there's a lot of scenes of him like just chilling with the mom in the dungeon and hanging out with her and being like, yo, like, sucks that we're both in this position and whatever. And they have a lot of chemistry. And I'm pretty sure, like, the bad guys, like Basa and Capricorn, keep commenting, like, oh, your girlfriend and that girl you have a crush on, like, to Dustfinger. And he, like, never denies it. So... <laughs> <laughs> That's all I'm saying. They did have a lot of chemistry and they would have been good together and like moving on from their past, starting that new future, you know, not going back into the book and having to be killed. Yes. I predicted. Yeah. Yo, Dustfinger keeps talking about like, yo, this book shouldn't like decide my destiny. I can choose whatever the hell I want. So you could choose like a new girl mm -hmm. if you want. You don't have to go back to your wife. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you weren't like that. <laughs> I mean, after okay, if you think someone's dead after ten years, mm. that's fine to to you know get back into the game, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. How okay if if um you had a significant other and they got zapped into a book, <laughs> how long would you look for them before you're like, mm. ooh, ooh? I mean. It, 
Mo does have a daughter with her, which I think ups the amount of years by a bit. But 10 is a lot. 10 like, is a lot. 10 is a lot, right? Ooh, I don't know, man. I don't, I, 10 years is a long time, even for like Dustfinger, like neither of them can really rectify the situation. Dustfinger has no way into the book. Mo couldn't really bring the mom out. Maybe like the mom and Dustfinger should just have gone for it. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm thinking. A little, you know, a little romance. Uh, yes. Never hurt nobody. And then, you know, Maggie didn't even grow up with the mom. Can't be much of a connection there anyway. So just like, let them do their thing. Yeah, honestly, agreed. <laughs> <laughs> so I feel like that's kind of the, uh, the gist of our thoughts in this movie. I'm really curious to see what the internet thought about this movie, because... Even, like, reading the books as a kid and seeing the movies as a kid, I don't think I really know anything about what other people think about this movie because I just, people just didn't see this movie. So I never got to talk (laughs) to anyone about this movie. We do have two IMDb reviews here. The first is by user Kirpianukusus. Wow. You can't, can't you? I feel like people should... (laughs) People should break up their usernames into, like, syllables or something. Thank you, user Kirpianuskius. Their tagline is... Nice. (laughs) (laughs) To adapt a significant book is only a challenge, because the result is always under the expectations of a part of the public. The solution? To read again. (laughs) What? With your... (laughs) (laughs) with your voice and mind and eyes and experiences this is the motif of why Inkheart is not really an adaptation but a sort of experiment (laughs) seductive (laughs) seductive reasonable decent but the message remains the same from the book same remains the imagination as tool for discover in new light all the well. No one, t- <laughs> girl, is this a prophecy? <laughs> Just read it as if you're reading Inkheart, and all of it will come oh, you're right. true. Okay, yeah. Um, in new light all well. Known truths, more time ignored. It is a show and a touching story. A nice film and not a bad occasion for Brendan Fraser to remains a good surprise. Sure, the hills are <laughs> sure, sure, sure the hills are Helen Mirren and Paul Bettany, <laughs> but this is far to be a real surprise. Hidden in that just complete enigma of a review, there are some good points that this person has made. Namely, you know, under the expectations <laughs> of a book, you're not going to get, you know, a perfect adaptation. But if you can get one that is seductive, reasonable, and decent, <laughs> should be good enough. Also, I think, I don't even, I don't even know what they meant by the hills are near and full Does that mean they're like the peaks, the, the hill, the top the hills, of the hill? The, the hills peaks. are alive with the sound of Helen Mirren. <laughs> I feel like this is one of those, like, uh, uh, the imitation game, like some sort of hidden code that's like every fifth word is, <laughs> is the real message. 
Um, yes, I completely agree with this review um, that you should, really should watch this with your voice and your mind and your eyes and your experiences. And Inkcart really is not an adaptation. It is a sort of experiment, seductive, reasonable, decent, as we mentioned. The hills are, in fact, alive. <laughs> <laughs> We're like Hill and Mirren, am I right? Huh? I think this is my favorite review we've done in the three years of our whole podcast. This oh was, my god, me too. Frankly, a an honor to read out. An honor, a privilege, a good surprise, just like Brendan Fraser in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I honestly, this review was just so, um, I don't know, I'd say seductive, reasonable. My three criteria for any movie must be seductive, must be reasonable, must be decent. Decent. <laughs> the next review we have is by user Love Seju, who gave it a 9 out of 10. And their tagline is, amazing film, not quite sure why people criticize it. So as I usually do come on IMDb to put the films I rented in order from highest ranking to lowest, and surprisingly, this film was ranked lowest. I couldn't believe it, so I stuck my middle finger to the screen and stuck the DVD in. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I can't find many things to fault in this film. I loved the story, and to me the characters were believable and not cliché, because there is a difference. The story progressed nicely and the fantasy elements were smoothly brought in. Not once did I stop and think, how the hell did that happen? Which helps to stay in the story. It remained magically believable, and of course the concept of the film is pretty interesting. Everyone prefers their imagination to reality, and this film lets you wander around your imagination for nearly two hours. So how can it be bad? And let's not forget Jennifer Connelly is in it, so come on. All in all, this film was extremely entertaining, with quite a few cool moments, and will be loved by everyone. In conclusion, I didn't care so much about being right about this film. What can I say? I'm used to it. Little winky face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do gotta add, Jennifer Connelly is only in, like, one scene as <laughs> Dustfinger's wife. Yep. Maybe five seconds total. I'm glad he enjoyed that five seconds, though. I bet they were very seductive. Probably pretty reasonable and decent as well. Mm, yeah, definitely. <laughs> uh, speaking of seductive, reasonable, and decent, I do have five letterboxed reviews here for us today. The first is by Gabrielle, exclamation point, who gave it two out of five stars. And Gabrielle says, this is such a stacked cast. WTF? Mm. We had it so good back in the day. Agreed, Gabrielle. The second review is by Mel, a uh, rose emoji, scroll emoji, who gave it two and a half stars as well. And uh, Mel says, oh, Fareed, I wish you didn't have the same name as my uncle, but that's all right. <laughs> Kissy face, heart emoji. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> the third review is by Nolan Sage, who didn't give it a star rating, but Nolan says, more like ink fart. <laughs> Just kidding, I fell asleep. I have no opinion. <laughs> <laughs> well, really turned it around there at the <laughs> The fourth review is by Cherry Cola, who gave it three out of five stars. Fun fact, Cornelia Funke, the author of Inkheart, wrote the character of Mo specifically for Brendan Fraser. The book is dedicated to him. Talk about dream casting. She was deaf onto something, dot dot dot. 
Brendan Fraser as a Delph bookworm dubbed Silvertongue. Mm. <laughs> oh my god. I mean, is she wrong? No, definitely not. Um, kind of related to that uh, is Olivia's review, our last review for today. Olivia gave it three and a half stars, and Olivia says, Dilf City. <laughs> Hell yeah, Olivia, get it. So that's all of our reviews for today, and uh, before we get into our reviews, IMDb gave this a 6.1 out of 10, uh, which I think is probably the highest score of a movie that we've done on this podcast. And Rotten Tomatoes gave this a 39% from the critics and a 45% from the audience. Pretty savage. Pretty savage, especially for the audience review. Usually you kind of expect lower reviews for this type of movie for critics, but... uh interesting from the audience amy is a person who has no kind of prior experience with this story or this world what would you give this movie it was a pretty good adaptation in that you didn't have to read the original series to understand what was going on maybe there were a couple of questions a couple of things that i didn't really get or that kind of went over my head because I didn't read the book. But as someone who is coming into this fresh, it was still a good movie. I still, you know, love the adventure elements. We obviously on this podcast love Brendan Fraser. Mm -hmm. Um, The cast was, as one of the reviews said, stacked, full of people who are just amazing actors. Yeah, I, I feel like characters like Dustfinger really came to life. So yeah, I don't know, as someone coming into this with a blank slate as to what Inkart is, I would give this maybe like a six. It was really fun. I wasn't, you know, checking my watch the whole time. I got lost in the story. There were a few questions, but not enough that I was super confused. So yeah, what would you give it? That's really solid. I'm glad that you enjoyed it. I was kind of worried how, you know, it would be perceived as someone who who doesn't really kind of know the story that much. Then again, I did watch this movie before reading the books. Um, I actually, fun fact, didn't even finish the book series. I read book one and book two. And then my toxic trait is that a lot of the time when I'm reading a book and I get kind of bored, I'll just sort of flip through the pages. And sometimes I do catch a glimpse of a spoiler here and there. So I, when I was started book three, I accidentally found out that um, Maggie doesn't end up with who I wanted her to end up with. So I rage quit <laughs> and, there, and I never finished the series. But I loved book one. I love book two. I love this movie. I, I don't know. It As a little nerdy child who loved to read, this story really spoke to me, especially the book, because the book really is like a love story to books. I have this quote from the first book that I adore that Mo says um, to Maggie. He says, if you take a book with you on a journey, an odd thing happens. The book begins collecting your memories. And forever after, you have only to open that book to be back when you first read it. It will all come back to your mind with the very first words. The sights you saw in that place, what it smelled like, the ice cream you ate while you were reading it. Books are like flypaper. Memories cling to the printed page better than anything else. And I just like, man, like I read that passage and I was like, fuck, that's like Cornelia, you're on to it because that's so true. Like 
especially like even just watching this movie for this podcast that I haven't seen since I was like a kid. I, you know, turned on the movie and instantly I was like transported back to me as a child watching this and reading the story for the first time. And I remember the rage of finding out that Maggie didn't end up (laughs) with who I wanted. And I remember like the rage that I felt to of quitting that book and the awe I felt while watching this movie. And it's just, you know, it really kind of speaks to you. The quote is so true. I love that like analogy of books being like flypaper or really just anything, any stories, music attaching itself to a particular point in time. It's, I don't know. It's a really magical idea. Yeah. That, quote that you read gave me goosebumps it's so good now i gotta read ink ink heart i mean i even like as a kid i don't know this was like one of my favorite movies as a kid i had a little stuffed toy ferret or martin that i named (laughs) and i named it gwen after the martin in this movie so i don't know this like maybe it's the nostalgia factor but it holds a really like close uh it's very close to to my heart and i'm glad that watching it as an adult it I was really worried it was not going to be the same as I remembered it being. But it's it still holds up pretty solidly. I'm going to give it like a 7.5, I think. You know, it was not incredible. It wasn't mind-blowing. There weren't like, you know, crazy plot twists <laughs> every, so often. But um, it was a solid movie, a decent adaptation. Yeah, 7.5. Yeah, and you know what? Most importantly, it was fun, and that's what we're doing on the season. Is yes, we're having fun. We're picking fun movies. So yeah, it was really good, and I'm really glad you got to relive some of that childhood nostalgia. Yeah, we're glad that you, listener, were able to enjoy this movie with us and experience this this story with us. Maybe you know when you go back and you rewatch Inkard, you see it for the first time, you'll be transported back to this moment, listening to this podcast. What a magical thought. We're so glad we could share it with you. Yeah, that's really sweet. A big thank you to anyone who's listening right now. And I hope that, you know, maybe it encourages you to go watch this movie because it's a really great movie. Or read the books. Books are good too. (laughs) Well, that's all we have for today. If any of you have seen Inkheart or have read the Inkheart books, you can always tell us your thoughts or you can, uh, you know, tell us some other fun movies to do on our fun season by emailing us at badmoviesundaypodcast at gmail.com or you can hit us up on Twitter or Letterboxd. We're at BMS Podcast. And as always, a big thank you to Kevin McLeod for providing our theme song. The song is Riptide, and you can find it on his website, incompetech.filmmusic.io. We have been Bad Movie Sunday. I'm Ashley. I'm Amy. And we will see you next, next week.